0: Good morning! This is Luke Gygax, president and founder of GaryCon, and you're listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Going for March 6th, 2018, I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflow Game Master. Oh boy, we're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us, hopefully they're important to you, and if you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. Our introduction this morning was Luke Gygax, the son of Gary Gygax, the guy who invented Dungeons and Dragons, because this weekend
1: is GaryCon10 up here in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Steve you're at the top of the stairs looking down into a basement. Down at the bottom are a couple of microphones, a couple of computers, and a manual on the table. Upstairs
0: are several dogs barking often. What do you do? <laughs>
1: it's choose your own adventure. Don't you love it?
0: Oh, it's so much don't fun. Don't you don't you love the the idea of Dungeons and Dragons, the communication that we have as a group of people to play this game together and the the community that is Gary Khan, where there's hundreds of people who come together to to show their respect to
1: this creator. And if you're in Chicago, it's just a quick jump up to Lake uh, Geneva, Wisconsin. Yeah. It's about, uh, you know, less than an hour. And the whole thing takes place uh, the 8th through 11th. And there you're going to meet the people who wrote the original games mm-hmm. for the uh for Dungeons and Dragons some of the original artists um they were many of the people worked in the factory that pr- was producing this right so anyway before it moved into the the current situation yeah and this is this all started because we decided we were going to read a book last year and uh we met this wonderful uh, group of people who just have a We live in special time. So all I can say is we live in special time. It is
0: wonderful. The people that we have met as a result of the show. It's wonderful. Then on Sunday, time travel happens. They
1: take away our time, Steve.
0: Time travel. I I always love my favorite memory is when daylight saving time came up one year. We
1: get time back. Right? We spring forward. Yes. Oh! Ah, time travel. They're giving us more time.
0: My favorite story is when I said to the the very young sons of mine, All right, kids, it's time travel night. We're going to change the clocks because tomorrow morning it'll be a different time. And they went, Really? You can really do time travel? I said, Yes, son. Yes, I can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Down.
0: film at 11 brings us to our film at 11 our movie of the week you got a chance to see the fun uh,
1: not for kids game night this this week this is not for children no but you know what many of us are married yes and uh, maybe you haven't been to the movies together in a while and maybe your wife really likes those raucous comedies even though she says she doesn't well it's got jason bateman uh-huh. Rachel McAdams uh-huh. and a whole slew of other people. Yeah. And it's a, a f- basically they play games every Tuesday which is you know trivia games or charades or whatever. Tuesday's a good day to do stuff. All right. well, Happy Tuesday everyone. And then um, the brother comes into town and he's going to take it up a notch. Nice. And uh, strange things happen. <laughs> and it is a lot of shock funny comedy. Uh-huh. And like I said we I, I don't want to give away too much on it because part of what makes them You watch a trailer and you end up seeing all the good parts. Right. Well, there's a lot of great parts and a lot of shocking stuff. But, you know, it's all a fake movie and go and have fun and laugh. So you recommend this one as as a fun movie? It's such a joy. The only thing I'm going to say is leave your cell phone in the car. I had a person to my left (laughs) and to the right decide they're going to take phone calls and text throughout the entire movie. And I finally just said, listen, are you going to? Stop. What's going on? Chip has a lot of pet peeves, but <laughs> cell
0: phones in the movie theater is I think your number one pet peeve. That's because people decide it's it's time to put their <laughs> flashlight on, right? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who don't realize the difference between watching a movie in a theater and watching a movie at the house. It's different.
1: We are addicted to our technology. That's I get right. that. Anyway, Game Night was a lot of fun, which brings me to the next one, movie we're going to talk about, which is Early Man. Early Man. We talked about this one last week. This is the next movie from Aardman
0: Animation. You might remember them from Wallace and Gromit series. Or, or Shaun the Sheep. Right. Or Chick uh, Chicken Run. Run. Yeah.
1: Oh, all the, every one of their um, movies have been a lot of pirates. That was yeah. also very good. Ham night. Uh, anyway, early man is definitely for young children. Okay. So I don't know how many four or five-year-olds would be able to sit through a film, but it's got the, the right amount of uh, violence, which is basically sports violence. They're playing a soccer game. Okay. Um, it's got the right amount of silliness. Um and this is definitely very silly for, for okay. young people. And it's got a wonderful, nice little message. This is as gentle as a uh, film could be. It's very British. And uh, what I would say is I do not have young children. But if I could uh, picture what a young uh, film should be, this is the type of film you would want to see. I so. wonder if my 16-year-old would go to it just for the nostalgia. Because he really liked Shaun the
0: Sheep. And and those sorts of things.
1: Well, maybe maybe maybe, maybe. but probably uh, no. Those years are probably past. Okay. You also got a
0: chance finally to see Tommy Wiseau's masterpiece, The Room. We've talked about this so many times. Every guest that we have on wants to talk about The Room. 2003 worst movie ever maybe it's the Citizen Kane of bad movies though there's something about The Room that keeps us coming back
1: tell me your impressions of Tommy Wiseau and The Room alright Steve you wore me down <laughs> Uh, you cannot get this streaming, by the way. No, Tommy is very protective of so, this. So Amazon delivered me the movie, I think it was 10 bucks. Nice. So, so I, have the, I actually have, I can watch it over and over and over. And you might, you very well might. My wife immediately left the room. <laughs> so let's just go ahead and say. I never tried to make my wife watch the room. I, I, I just threw it on and she was uh, doing something and then she said, this is awful. Um, it starts off, well, let, let's just back up a little bit. This is, said, the, the best, worst movie ever. Or the worst, best movie. <laughs> uh, this, to me, and I'm speaking for me, it, uh-huh. it comes across as a student film. Okay, Th- This seems like a person from, they never say where he's really from, but I'm going to say um, maybe Central Europe, yeah, uh, yeah, European. That's, that's the speculation is he's from Poland. Okay, and who thinks this is what an American life is like. And what an American movie is like. Yeah, so he has a structure there. There Mm -hmm. are three lovemaking scenes in this (laughs) with their own soundtrack, Steve. (laughs) With their own soundtrack, there are um, just odd conversations. Um, The dialogue. the, The dialogue is so challenging. And, you know, for the actors, they're given an opportunity to be in a film, so of course, you're in Hollywood, you're trying to make it, mm-hmm. of course you're saying, yes, oh, I'll be in this, and then you get the script, and then you have to put it together, and I think that's what the story of the disaster artist has to be about. That's right, the story of the
0: disaster artist is the making of the room, the idea that Tommy Wiseau spent six million dollars of his own money, made this script by himself with a typewriter, directed it, well, mostly directed it, The the principal photography guy really probably was the director, but Tommy took directing credit for this. And and the image of Tommy as a good guy
1: making this movie, not being malicious. All right, so one of the things I also want to uh, mention on it is as much as I think this is a person from Central Europe thinking this is how American society works, mm-hmm. there is something that I caught that I think I, is, um, is So did the that, doctor have it cleared up? No, 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 no. Um, I was listening or watching a, a YouTube video once, and they were talking about what they like about Americans and what they dislike. And one of the criticisms they had with uh, people from the United States is one the thing they liked is we're very gregarious and we're, we're um, loud and we're fun and, mm-hmm. and and we are more than willing to to share. But one of the things the criticism they had is that we don't have deep friendships. And that may or may not be true. I don't I don't think it's ultimately true, but I could see how a person could see that because you know, hey, I just met you. This is a great time. Stop by anytime and tomorrow they show up and you're busy working or or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I think that Tommy, who plays the the character Johnny, has worked real hard in this film to show that, you know, everything points back to him, that he's a good guy. Mm -hmm. Um, his girlfriend's mother says what a great provider what a great guy this young ward batman no his young ward robin right uh who's this uh young man who lives in the um, same apartment building yeah, yeah who may have had a troubled youth or something maybe sort of <laughs> well the, the point is is that he says you know uh, he wants to have Big brother um, small brother uh, conversations or dad son type of conversations right and Tommy works as that um, as that sounding board and basically assures him everything's going to be all right you're a young man of course you are we love you um and he also his friend who uh, there's an affair that is that goes on in this but anyway his friend lives in the apartment building because they, they have a deep friendship and he's you know eventually he's betrayed I guess. I think that there is something that, that that is that he's trying to to say there. This is not a skilled production, but it, it is a student film, and I don't think that it's fair to criticize it for not being what it is. Mm-hmm. It, it's a first film for a person who's learning the art of filmmaking. I don't think many high school students or many college students first film. Um, would be that different. This this is this, It's clumsy. Yes, the dialogue's clumsy. And that's sort of what the joy is and why people watch it over and over. Anyway, I thank you for letting me watch it. <laughs> I do not think I have to ever watch this again. <laughs> oh, but you own it now, so you can watch it every weekend. I could put it on all the time. This this is the equivalent of, you remember Rebecca Black singing Friday, the song? Yeah. And people were making fun of this, this song because he, they went to a company and the guy put together put a rap part in the middle of it and help write the song and basically was having her write that well she was a, a young person writing her first lyrics mm-hmm. and yes it comes across as silly but yeah this is it's a first outing what can I say
0: <laughs> what a story chip <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie I love it I I love it lots I, of laughs I I the, the fact that you watched it without the riff tracks riffing on this movie is
1: beyond me. I don't know how you got through it. There's this crazy scene where they, where all four of them show up in tuxedos.
0: For no real good reason.
1: Then they go out in the alley and throw a football around. Which is a different alley from the other alley because they was they filmed the alley next to the real alley. It doesn't matter. And a person fell in the tux. And the scene's over. Yes. So it's like, hey, everybody, we're all in tux. <laughs> Great, let's go throw a football. Okay, let's go out and throw a football. I just fell. That's the end of it. Yep. And I think that there was probably part of the story that got cut, Steve. There was editing involved. There was, I'm sure there was some editing involved in the overdubbing of the, the flower scene. All <laughs> right, so we spent too much time on this. Steve, <laughs> tell... Tell me a little bit about The Black Panther, because you finally got to see it.
0: All right. I finally got to see The Black Panther. This is a good movie. This is a really good movie. This is a, a movie with so much going for it. It is a beautiful movie filled with beautiful people and a great story. The characters were the thing that got me the most. I really enjoyed the interaction of The Black Panther and his sister, the sister who's in charge of all the science. She is adorable first of all she is so smart so talented and she gets all the great funny lines in this movie this movie is something special a lot of people have figured that out already because sure. this is this has killed box office numbers uh, around the world it's a setup for the avengers steve come on and you know more stories like this uh-huh. i I'd encourage everybody to go see the black panther I, I don't know if that i would watch it a second time i don't know if this is one of those popcorn I, movies
1: yeah i, I think um All the Marvel movies. I don't think they get better with repeat viewing. I could be wrong, but then again, I'm not a 13-year-old.
0: And you're also not a repeat movie viewing kind of person very often.
1: No, but if you were here in the village of Wakanda, Illinois... Um, things have been happening, Steve. Yeah, they've been getting a lot of phone calls at the village of
0: Wakanda, Illinois. They they have been requested to change their mascot at the high school to the Black Panther. They have <laughs> Black been, Panthers. <laughs> yes. They, they have been, the, the police station has been getting uh, all sorts of phone calls about
1: crime in Wakanda and all the things that they can and can't be doing. They need a new type of uh, uh, technology to help them, Steve. They're going to have to go to an African country to get it. <laughs> African technology the stuff that's happening in Africa is a pretty stunning right now and by the way the way to get there is if you remember a few weeks ago at the Atlanta airport uh, ATL they were you could book your 7 o'clock flight to a condo yeah So there you go. (laughs) There you go. Ready to go. Steve, that was not all you watched.
0: I I have also lovingly watched the second half of The Tick. This was an Amazon exclusive, Amazon Prime video show. It's a TV show. It's a 30-minute sitcom about superheroes, very much in the vein of the old Batman 66, where The Tick is this superhero who is, he says the word chum a lot, and he says all these things, and he is not the smartest guy in the room and he he gets into these adventures. The second half of this
1: came out on Friday... And, and streaming on Amazon Prime.
0: It's on Amazon Prime, and it's it's a really good story, really fun look at superheroes from a different perspective. The Black Panther is a very serious superhero. From a
1: different point of view.
0: From a different point of view, The <laughs> Tick is a very silly superhero. The only thing that I wish they had were some of the other superhero characters from the previous incarnations of The Tick. You have to remember that they did a cartoon, and they did a live action already. This is all based on a comic book. Some of those other characters are really really great and they they left them out of this production but it certainly looks like they're working on season two of the tick on amazon
1: all right well steve there's a lot of movies opening up this week let's run through some of them
0: wrinkle in time one of my favorite books of all time probably my first book that i ever read about time
1: travel is being made into a movie this is a disney production this is the this is the big uh release this week I'm sure this is going to be an excellent film. I have I mean, high expectations. I have, I have high hopes for this one. They did a very low-budget version of this, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. I watched that. That wasn't too um, impressive. Right. I read this to my uh, – I did not read this as a child. I read it to my children when they were really, really young. And they don't remember it, but I do. So there you go. This should be awesome. There's a movie called
0: Thoroughbreds. Uh, two upper class teenage girls in suburban Connecticut rekindle
1: their unlikely friendship after years of growing apart. This is sort of Heather's like. Uh huh. This is a black comedy. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I'm going to say this is our pick of the week, but I'm winking at you when I say that because it does look like these these young ladies can put people through a lot of challenges
0: if you remember throw mama from the train this might be the
1: 21st century of that story (laughs) Hmm. all right so there's also a movie called gringo
0: yeah we saw the preview for this one when we went to go see annihilation this is about a guy who is sent to mexico to uh help his medical uh what do you call it medical
1: medical marijuana steve there you go and they have the pills they put together and all i can say is black comedy because it really is. It, this is a this is one of those comedies where um, it's kind of shocking yeah. and uh, lots of silly things going on. It looks interesting
0: enough. It's at Amazon Studios. This, so this looks good. It does look good. I, I'll wait for it to be on, available on Amazon because it'll be pretty quick because <laughs> it's Amazon Studios. There is another dark oh. comedy coming out this week called The Death of Stalin. Yes. yes that's, I said comedy. That is a comedy.
1: <laughs> um, just so we know... Uh, we estimate 15 to 20 million people killed for um, mm-hmm. under Stalin's leadership, yeah. mm-hmm. with um, certain sites saying up to 60 million. So there's a mm-hmm. comedy. There's comedy involved somewhere well. in there. Tragedy plus time equals comedy. I'm just not sure that the amount of time has gone far enough on on
0: the scale for right now. So
1: the premise is the Soviet uh, dictator has passed away and there's a, a political vacuum, and who's going to take over? And there's comedy involved. And it features
0: Jeffrey Tambor, Steve Buscemi, and Michael Palin. That's a comedy powerhouse right there. Interesting enough, I do want to see this. <laughs> There is a movie called The Forgiven. This is Forrest Whitaker taking on
1: the character of the Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Now, this is the real Sea of the week. Okay. And this has got Forrest Whitaker. He's that guy from Star Wars, right, Steve?
0: I I was gonna say the guy from Star Wars, because he's definitely not the guy from the crying game anymore. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. Well anyway, this he's playing Desmond Tutu. He's um there's a gentleman who is a racist guy in prison and Desmond Tutu is going to be there's their their relationship and how they created whatever they created this looks pretty good yeah he was such an interesting character in life I I look forward to this movie Forrest
0: Whitaker is a is a force it's a Star Wars reference
1: Ah, all right so there is um there's another movie that will never happen But you know what? Why not write a movie about it? Why not write a story? That's what stories can do for us. This one is called The Hurricane
0: Heist. It's about a group of thieves trying to steal millions of dollars in the middle of a huge category 5 hurricane and what could go wrong polarity <laughs> <laughs> ensues this is not a comedy this is this is a straight heist film it features Ryan Quanton who you might know as Jason Stackhouse from the True Blood series that that was the only thing I got out of the trailer was oh there's that handsome guy and how about a horror film based on a true story Steve <laughs> <laughs> okay we've, we've seen a, quite a few horror films based on true stories like the Amityville horror oh it's a true story the Winchester from a couple weeks ago this one is called The Strangers, Pray at Night. It's about a a secluded mobile home park where masked psychopaths take control and and horror ensues.
1: Well, somebody's going to want to see this, Steve. I don't know who, not me. Book and book it, book it. Book it, book it, book it. Book it.
0: brings us to our Book at our Book of the Week. Our guest this week is Pamela Bedore. She is an associate professor and writing coordinator at the University of Connecticut. Her expertise is American literature, women's writing, and feminist literary theory and popular fiction. Wow, that's a lot. She is currently researching feminist science fiction, and detective fiction. She's also the professor for The Great Courses, Great Utopian and Dystopian Works of Literature, which is our focus for her visit. Welcome, Dr. Bedore.
2: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for coming in and, and talking to us about some of my favorite writing. Dystopian and utopian science fiction writing is some of my favorite writing.
2: Mine do, as you might imagine.
0: So tell us about the first joys you found in reading.
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, I grew up in the country, Canadian, small Canadian town, and I was a super shy kid. And I feel like reading really got me out of my head and into you know all kinds of adventures. I was a totally voracious reader as a child. I was at my library all the time. I read through the kids' section. I don't know, by the time I was eight or nine. And it's funny because Stephen King is one of my very favorite writers. And he actually tells a story in On Writing, which is a book I highly recommend to anyone who does creative writing that's so similar to an experience I had as a kid, which was going to the public library and saying, what should I read now? I read all the kids' books. And the librarian just saying, "Eh, you know, go to the Go to the grown-up section, pick something, and picking Ed McBain, who's a detective writer, not for kids, <laughs> but, who, but who just really introduced me to like the hard-boiled streets of you know basically New York City in his 87th Precinct novels, but just that idea that you could just open a book and bam, be somewhere else, and I think that's it's complicated today. Um, I know as a prof, as a teacher, as a parent, you know, books are competing with computers. Absolutely. so the joys of reading and the joys of consuming pop culture get a little bit more mingled together today.
1: So what advice would you give a young reader then?
2: I think reading is adventure. I mean, to me, that's the key. Reading is a way to, to consume stories where you as the reader get to decide what the characters look like what the world looks like. You have so much control that I think, at least with my kids, sometimes they would just rather watch TV, watch a movie. And there's so much value to what you get to put into the reading process.
0: So for your college students, do you know when they are avid readers? Can you figure out the ones that enjoy reading and those who don't?
2: I got to tell you, college students... They're pretty open about it. So no matter what I plan to begin a discussion on a book, students will just start by telling me, I love this book, da-da-da-da-da, I went and read another one in the series, or I hated this book, I hate reading, I am a science student in your class to fulfill a general education requirement. Students are really open about it, I Mm -hmm. think. But it's funny because I'm lucky, I teach mostly popular culture courses, Mm -hmm. and so I often get that situation where students will say, I don't really like reading, but I like these books okay, even the sort of reluctant readers, because the thing about studying popular culture is these are the things that people are really thinking about. We're, we're talking about today. What are our major concerns as a society? And what are the different ways that we can actually figure those out, explore them on the page? So... Yeah, I can tell they're not hiding it, <laughs> but uh-huh. but people who don't love reading will still really enjoy, I think, reading books that really speak to them.
0: Well, you have to find something that speaks to you. I think that's key Mm -hmm. to becoming a good reader is finding that genre that you really enjoy. I love science fiction. If there's any time travel in it, I've probably read it at this point. (laughs) I I enjoy that specific genre just beyond anything else that I ever read. How, How do you get those struggling readers to enjoy something? How do you find that genre for them?
2: Well, I think that one of the things for re- for students and, you know, anyone really to ask themselves is like, what do you think are the most important questions in the world today that face us? And it's funny because I was born in 1972. So, you know, I'm like 25 years older than my students. They're millennials for sure. Millennials are activists at heart. I really do think that, you know, there's people say a lot about millennials. They're activists. And I like to ask them like, what do you think is the most important issue facing the world today? Facing you guys as you go out and build our future. And whatever their answer to that is, I'm like, great. There's tons of novels on that. Why don't you start there? You know, read things that address the questions and concerns that you already have. So... You've got
0: this this thing about the internet, this great courses that you're a part of that our listeners can go to YouTube and see you in action giving one of your lectures. Your course and the Great Courses explores the history of science fiction. What draws you to science fiction, like like it does me?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Most important issues facing our world, my friend. Oh, my yeah, <laughs> right, and that's the thing. So there's actually – my course is on utopia and dystopia, which, of course, has a ton of overlap with science fiction. Um, Gary Wolf has an amazing course with the great courses specifically on science fiction.
1: I've started Uh, that one. Oh, have you? I have.
2: It's great. just You get sucked into that. Absolutely. But the thing about utopia and dystopia is these two genres, they're both trying to figure out how do we make the world a better place? So that's – that's a project most of us can get behind right (laughs) like these are good things to think about so it's interesting because you may or may not know but over the past few years sales of dystopian literature have skyrocketed Mm -hmm. like 1984 was actually a top seller on amazon for a few weeks in 2016
0: but Um, van halen's 1984 was not (laughs) (laughs) of course
1: I was thinking the same thing Steve thank you
2: (laughs) but Margaret Atwood's A Handmaid Tale which is you know a 25 year old novel Mm -hmm. recently made into a television series it's very good so people are really taking an interest in dystopian literature as we sort of face some tricky moments in our world and the thing about utopian literature um, as I talk about in the course is that it sets out, like, what would a perfect society look like? And most utopian novels come to the same conclusion, which is everybody has a different idea. Everyone has a different answer to that question. So no matter what perfect society you come up with, it's always fundamentally imperfect as well because it's not going to suit everyone. You have to give something up to get, you know, Security versus freedom, for example. Sure. You've got to give one of those up and you're left with something imperfect. Dystopian literature, in my opinion, is way more optimistic. I know that sounds crazy because, you know, you're like, yes, uh, apocalypse, um, totally, you know, horrifying, nightmarish worlds doesn't sound optimistic. But in fact, dystopian worlds are actually telling you, let's avoid this. Let's be activists and create something better than this. The, these, are, these are the dangers. The fight. Censorship, totalitarianism, whatever. These are the things to avoid to create something better.
1: Which brings us to, I, I really enjoyed in the presentation of the course, where you talked about uh, Zamyatin's We, which I had yes. not read, but it's, but it's, on, my, it's on my Kindle. It's, I'm, I'm ready for it. And okay. And Huxley's Brave New World, and George Orwell's 1984, and you did those back to back to back. And, mm-hmm. and when we we read uh, Brave New World a few years ago, yes, we did. I compared it from you know 1984 to mm-hmm. Atlas Shrugged um, to to, um, to Brave New World, and okay, yeah. And then we kind of threw in a little bit of uh, Alan Moore's V for Vendetta because you know we were kids at that time when that came out,
2: sure, <laughs> which is great. Oh,
1: so I mean, could you briefly um, talk about the themes that are resonating with uh, with with people and, and why these? seem to be
2: books that we were, were drawn to. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Brave New World is such a fascinating novel because the argument that Huxley is making in 1932 is kind of the opposite argument that Orwell is making in 1949. And that's why I put those together. And so many people have not read Zamyatin's We, but it's so good. Um, and it's actually the earlier of the three But let's just thinking Brave New World and 1984. In 1984, Orwell's making an argument that I think we can kind of understand quite easily that if we somehow get into a situation with a totalitarian government where everyone is always surveilled and we're being told lies, people start to not understand what is truth. I mean, it's easy to conceptualize that that would be a dystopian world. That I can't imagine actually, all
0: of that happening. There's no I way know, that all of that would happen right now.
2: It's an amazing thought, but <laughs> the fears, the anxieties, are really easy to see, right? Sure, right. The thing that Huxley's doing, which is more subtle but I think more powerful, is that Huxley is actually saying, "Look at this world. It looks kind of amazing if you're an alpha or a beta, because you have." you know, generally a very well-functioning society. Mm -hmm. Everyone is safe and secure, free love, free access to pharmaceuticals. People are very happy. And if someone's not happy, someone else will be like, hey, you don't look super happy today. Let's, like, get you some care, get you some mental health care, i.e. drugs. And (laughs) he's (laughs) – but what he's showing is that – no, no, no. And he argued this really explicitly in his essays – The thing we have to be worried about is not buying into a totalitarian system. It's actually allowing pleasure to take away our humanity, not allowing pain and torture to take away our humanity, but allowing pleasure to just put us into this state of just not noticing that we no longer have freedom, not noticing that we no longer have art. And that's something that both of the novels and really all dystopias look at is you know, art as a way, sort of aesthetic products of any kind, as a way that people keep their uniqueness, their individuality. Sort of challenging. Exactly, exactly. So that's why I put those two books. I mean, not like I put them together. Many people put those two together, but they show the kind of opposite sides of like how society goes wrong through pleasure or pain. Either way, those kinds of extremes are going to lead us somewhere that We shouldn't get on that train.
1: Well, let's get to the other part because your class also, through The Great Courses, has two lectures on the works of Octavia Butler, more than any other writer. And uh, Mm -hmm. what makes her work so special and what makes them so important?
2: It was funny, I hadn't planned to do two lectures on her and then when I started to work on the one lecture I had planned, I realized she did way too much her works are so different from one another. Now, um, Butler, and it's still like, it still chokes me up just to to say this. Um, She died in 2005 at age 58. And so she only wrote 13 novels. But wow, like those novels, they really do such a variety of things. And also, you know Butler is an African American woman, a science fiction writer, very much a little group of one for a while there when she started publishing in the late 70s and early 80s. And she I realized that I didn't feel like I could do her justice in a single lecture because she has two series that I really really wanted to talk about in this course. One of them is the Xenogenesis trilogy. And I even I even love the name of that trilogy. Zeno or stranger genesis so the beginning of strangers combining and it's a straight-up sci-fi book you know within the utopian dystopian realm but it's an alien encounter book with literally my very favorite aliens and the way you like time travel mm-hmm. i like aliens that much <laughs> and So i mean <laughs> this is um these are it's a trilogy simply amazing trilogy that looks at a type of alien that has such a different approach to the world than we do that it highlights it you know shines the critical mirror on contemporary society and it highlights so many of the questions that we might have about where we're going as a society and these aliens the owen kali they feel like humans have what they call the human contradiction they've never seen it in all their travels around the galaxy we have intelligence and hierarchy Wow. And they don't see how we can possibly survive. And in fact, the very opening of book 1 is that humans have pretty much destroyed themselves. Destroyed the uh-huh. earth and themselves. Uh-huh. And so it's a really powerful look at contemporary society. And then Butler also wrote only the first two and she died before she could write more. Uh, Books of the Parable series, Parable of the Sower, which is this fantastic apocalyptic and then becomes post-apocalyptic look at California with drought, with the repressive white supremacist president in the White House, and with um, basically people in gated communities when the gates come down. It's an absolutely spellbinding. You start reading this and you just can't stop, even though the books are like three, four hundred pages each. But she actually looks in that book at religion, new religions, as a way to move outside of the dystopia. Mm. And so those two moves of like the alien perspective and then actually really, really putting, making religion an, a major element of um utopian dystopia they're both so important that i went to my editor at great courses and said would it be crazy to do two lectures and then i was so thrilled when she said hey it's butler go for it (laughs) (laughs) i think i mean for sure you know different professors would highlight different things but for me she's just one of those writers that i think is so imaginative and just so important and when i think about her plans the plans that she had when she died suddenly in her late 50s it still chokes me up i must admit
0: those sound great those those are definitely going on my reading list
1: <laughs> absolutely.
2: one of the problems of any great course and if you're listening to Gary's sci-fi course is that you end up with an absolutely enormous reading list yeah. out of it that's <laughs> a problem
0: <laughs> that's a problem i have with a lot of podcasts is they discuss so many totally. great books there's so many wonderful books
1: out there that my list just grows and grows <laughs> In fact, how can reading science fiction or any popular fiction um, better prepare a person for, you know, school or work or, you know, just life in general?
2: Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. I love that. Um, So, to me, the main thing about – the thing that I like the best about reading anything is that it builds empathy. So, any work of fiction – you are putting yourself as a reader in someone else's perspective. Whether it's first person or third person, doesn't really matter. You're actually seeing the world from someone else's viewpoint. And you know we don't do that enough. None of us do. None of us does that enough, right? Sure. Think about, like, what does the world look like from a different perspective? Now, when you're looking at science fiction, that different perspective might not even be the perspective of, again, someone on this world, right? Someone on this earth. It could be an alien. It could be a time traveler. It could be someone from a different time or place. And to me, that just gives us so much perspective. But I also, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, the cognitive science approach to literature. Uh, Lisa Sunshine is one of my favorite scholars in this area. I don't know if you know her.
0: No, no, no please go oh. on. Okay,
2: Um, to add to your reading list, Lisa Sunshine has this wonderful work called, uh, so it's a monograph, a nonfiction, called Why We Read, and she makes the argument that I totally buy that when we're just moving through our life, we actually, you know, our, our cognition's at a certain level, we're doing certain tasks, and we process things in a way that's very familiar, and she makes the argument that when we're reading, we're actually accessing different parts of our brain like different cognitive processes right and some of the work that's really hard to read she looks at modernism so virginia wolf is one of her main um areas of study we enjoy slash hate slash enjoy reading really difficult fiction because it actually helps us to access a different part of our cognitive frame hmm. and I buy that because I also study detective fiction and when you're reading a detective novel and trying to figure out who who did the murder and you know some people might be lying but it could be for this reason or it could be for that reason and you have all these suspects and you're constantly multiplying the possible ways that the story could go. That's a heck of a mental workout.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe that. But could it's explain. also
2: really fun.
1: I was going to say, maybe that can explain Annihilation to us. Oh, I don't know if anything
0: can explain Annihilation. That is that is a, a, a book that is, I don't know if we can explain it. <laughs> I tease, I tease.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have not seen it yet. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Um, okay. Steve read it, and I read we watched it. three years, years it. ago, and, and we, we both watched it? Okay. We watched the movie, and uh, it did lead to a lot of discussion. So that is maybe the point of a really good film that is very uh, unclear on first viewing, is we have this mm-hmm. great discussion afterwards.
2: Well, and again, anything that allows you, the reader or the viewer, to, to get creative in your criticism or, or you know, I, I'm a great believer in fan fiction too. That's something that I totally encourage my students to do is if you read something that really interests you, like go write something creative. Put those characters in a different situation. Well, I think that's a kind of critical perspective and all those conversations we have after watching movies or reading novels, that's really placing us it's, it's building our own critical thinking skills, and it's a lot of fun.
0: <laughs> so. so our movie for this weekend, upcoming, is A Wrinkle in Time. There's the new mm-hmm. version I of wait. this movie. I can't
2: wait. I haven't seen it yet
0: either. Yeah, it's coming out on Friday, so I, I really have high expectations. This is one of my earliest memories of a time travel novel. I think it might be yes. the first time travel novel I read. That's probably true of a lot of young people. What mm-hmm. can you tell us about A Wrinkle in Time?
2: Well, actually, it's funny that you ask that, because I'm actually working on a second grade course uh, on fantasy fiction, and I will do a whole lecture on A Wrinkle in Time. Uh I haven't prepared it yet, but I've been thinking about it, and I'm going to start writing it as soon as I see the movie. So um, I think this book is phenomenally important. It was also one of my first introductions, probably my first as well, um, to time travel, Mm -hmm. maybe even one of my first sort of sci-fi slash fantasy books. Um, It's also book one of a series. And when I was a kid, I think I didn't know that I only read A Wrinkle in Time. And I recently read the other four. They're really good. Hmm. I would recommend the whole 5 book series. But um, but one of the things that I didn't notice as a kid, because as a kid, you know, I was like a quiet, shy kid who was good at math. And so I loved Meg Murray. She was just like amazing. She was
0: a great character, a great hero, especially maybe for a young lady. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And she had, and Charles Wallace, still perhaps like my favorite child in literature. <laughs> He's okay. just the coolest. <laughs> but um, I didn't realize, like their parents are both scientists, but- rereading it as an adult, I realized that they're scientists who absolutely do not believe that science fully explains the world. And so they have a deep belief in and respect for the supernatural. Hmm. So even though A Wrinkle in Time, it kind of sits at the intersections of science fiction and fantasy... I feel really good about putting it in a fantasy fiction course and I teach it in my fantasy course because of that sort of, I mean, to be a a prof here, the epistemological (laughs) investments of this novel, the idea of like it's interested in knowing epistemology, the the study of knowledge. How do we know stuff and what do we not know and what can we perhaps never know, which is okay. And so I just think it's a, fantastic, uh, it's a fantastic novel, and everything I've heard, and you know I haven't seen it yet, but it sounds like the movie is going to be really good. I'm excited. Expectations
0: are certainly high for this Definitely. one. There's a <laughs> yes. lot of people like you and like me who mm-hmm. read this at a very young age, and mm-hmm. it was very much a, one of the building blocks of who I am reading yep. science fiction. So I have high expectations, and I hope my kids will enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the book. Yeah. I yeah. read it to my
1: daughter. So there you go. You go. Ooh, nice. <laughs> so who should we or what should we be reading today?
0: Give me okay. more lists for M- my my, lists. my book list, please. <laughs> please more. I don't I only have seven or eight on my list so far. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. So I just have to give you some can I give you some young adult titles? Sure. You?
0: I love young adult titles. I teach middle school. So I right. love the young adult titles because I can then use that in class to talk to my students about literature.
2: Well, one of the things that really interests me lately is that when I was a kid, I read Little House in the Prairie to find out like how people settled, you know, America, how you, you know, rotate crops, how you have livestock, like how you would set up the world. And I think today kids are reading apocalyptic fiction to do the same thing
0: at least for the last five to ten years i think that that Mm -hmm. is true Uh, there's so many novels that are in that genre yes
2: and i think that it becomes a way to think through like not only you know the very basic pragmatic things of like how would we feed ourselves like where does our food come from sure (laughs) why is our environment important but also Conflict Resolution. So I really like, for 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 younger readers, um, I really like uh, Jean Dupreau's City of Ember series. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that one, but it's a, it's a post-apocalyptic one. It's very good. Um, but then for teen readers, two books that I really, really recommend are M.T. Anderson's Feed. Now, it came out in 2001, which as I reread it, kind of shocks me how prescient it is. But this is, uh, the feed is basically you've got, we all have our, our phones are our actually microchips in, in our heads and people don't have to go to school anymore because they just get information from the feed. And so you get, you're in the head of like a teenager who basically just accesses information but has no critical thinking skills and is a first person narrator and so it's pretty incredible. And he's often interrupted by ads in his feed. Uh-huh. And so it's very funny, very dark.
0: So this seems like a great place for an ad because the good news is that is our spring break book club reading assignment this year.
2: Stop it. Is are we, you kidding me?
0: We are going to read M.T. Anderson's no. feed with our listeners and we're going to discuss it on April 3rd. And,
1: and, Yay. You, and you inspired that, by the way. Because I got the book from your course. There you go. Oh,
2: my goodness. That is too funny. It is. is. That is so funny to me. But I absolutely love that book. Um, he has a really, really good book um, about Octavian Nothing, which is a really fascinating historical story um, about uh, a slave. It's like an antebellum story. But anyway. Yes, feed. Oh, I'm, do- I'm delighted to hear this. And then um, Cory Doctorow fellow oh, Canadian. Yes. His little brother. When you were thinking about things to teach next to 1984, yes. 1984 and little brother are like an amazing pairing.
0: Because certainly it was inspired by 1984, the concept of little exactly. brother as opposed to big brother. I enjoy that story immensely. We've discussed that one on the show and boy is that a, an eye-opening story for the right kid at the right time.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then for um, now that I mentioned a Canadian, I'm like, oh, I have to mention another Canadian. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Emily St. John Mandel's Station 11.
0: Yes, I have read Station 11. We have never discussed it on the show, but th- ah. that's that is a really interesting view on that idea of how can we survive? What are we going to do?
2: And also that question of what happens to art? Mm-hmm. In a dystopia, or in an apocalypse, right, or in a utopia, right? Because here we have a post-apocalyptic world, and we're following around a troop of Shakespearean actors, and um, that's a book that I um, I do a little um, discussion group at my library, speculative fiction, and I think that is the one novel that we we probably read it three or four years ago when it first came out, and our group talks about that novel practically every time we get together (laughs) it's just one of those that really sticks with people
0: the one that really sticks with me is is not exactly a utopia or a dystopia, but it is a speculative fiction called Demon by Daniel Suarez. That I'm is, writing that one down. All right.
2: That, I don't know that one.
0: That is the one that I always come back to. It's about a computer genius who dies and has set up that when the news of his death goes across the wire, that triggers a program in a computer that triggers another program in another computer. And eventually this demon, spelled D-A-E, E-M-O-N, like the computer demon. This demon takes over the world because this guy set it up that way. It is a brilliant look at what we can do, what we should do, and what we probably shouldn't do with this technology.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Much of which we've already done, but who's counting?
0: So... This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming in and and giving us your knowledge and and prophesizing. <laughs> <laughs> Evangelizing. Thank you so much for
2: having me and uh, thank you for the show. I love the book club.
0: Wonderful. How can our listeners find more about you and your projects?
2: Um I just I'm just a I use my Yukon webpage for stuff. I'm at the University of Connecticut. Um I've recently started Twitter. I don't know. Just Pambador. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> And then The Great Courses, of course. We can we can find your work on there, and we look forward to your whole fantasy lecture and, and the whole wrinkle in time thing that yes. you're going to put together eventually.
2: Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I better get to work. Thank you so much for having me, guys.
0: Thank you. So after all that, our Appetite, our App of the Week. Remember when we used to have an Appetite? Good times. Oh, those old days. You should go to your app store and you should get the Great Courses app. There's there's quite a few ways for you to access these great courses. Pamela Bedore explained all about
1: all the different things that are out there. There's so many. Well, so there's so many great courses that you can do. You can go through their app. Directly, mm-hmm. and they have a, actually a subscription service. So um, the way, the, let me give you the difference between one of them is 19.99 a month, mm-hmm. and you get I don't know, it's like five thousand courses. Like you can nine thousand ch- courses. So I can promise you that if you have some subject you'd like to know more about, um, go to the experts. That's right. And one of the benefits of having all these courses available to you is that you can press on one. Um, and let's say you start it and you've watched the first and the second and it's really not kind of, you're not feeling it. Good. Go to the next one because just like books, you don't have to finish everything you start. That's true. You need to find the things that you like. And um, the... Other version mm-hmm. is the one I actually subscribe to. It's through my Amazon Prime membership. Through our Amazon store, scrollingcom So you pay your Amazon Prime uh, membership. You get your free shipping and all that other stuff. But you can sign up for their monthly uh, service, which is a smaller... A batch of courses. Yeah, like two thousand of them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, no, Only we're two thousand. Uh. But that's seven ninety nine a month. Seven ninety nine a month. So you could join and you could take uh Pamela Bador's class. Mm-hmm. If you I mean, I'm telling you, that was a wonderful one. And then after that you could, you know, if you wanted to stay on for another one, do it. I, I work out. Um I've got a television in front of me and I've got my you know, elliptical. And you, some of you have these, um, you know, you're walking on something or mm-hmm. you know whatever you want to do. I, I just basically watch courses while I work out. I get through something that uh, I learned something. Mm-hmm. Um, Feeding your mind and your body. That, oh, that's it's, pretty it's cool. Beautiful. But eight bucks a month for, yeah. for that, um, you know, at some point, you, you, you know, you only can have so many services. Right. Um, you sign up for a few months. You cancel for a few months. You sign up for a couple months later on. And uh, you know each course probably takes you know they're half hour each twenty five to forty classes, yeah about a month is what it takes to get mm-hmm. through one anyway. So why not try For one out eight bucks? It's well worth it.
0: Take a look, see what you can see. There's an interesting comparison page in our show notes where you can see the difference between Great Courses Plus at nineteen ninety nine a month versus the Great Courses
1: Signature Collection at seven ninety nine a month. And if you have a Roku, or you have a Fire Stick, or an Apple TV, or a Chromecast. You can use these uh, on your big screen. Now, if you don't want to do that, your tablets and sm- and phones and stuff like that. Because when I was um, when I would walk the dog, I would actually take the course through the through the um, the app on my phone, and yeah, that's how I get through another one. It's uh, nice. it's awesome, good stuff. Nice.
0: Scroll with it.
1: Star Wars, Chip. Star Wars. So the movie, uh, the, the last movie, The Last Jedi, came out in December. Uh-huh. And, and that in was...
0: between the time between that and Solo, we need something.
1: That's right. Steve's uh, Christmas present was delivered to him, but the book was not delivered That's to him.
0: That's right. They did not release a novelization of The Last Jedi until today. Today is the day that they are releasing Star Wars, The Last Jedi, The Expanded... Version. There you go. Hopefully, it explains some things.
1: So, Steve, (laughs) is this something you're
0: interested in? You know, sometimes I read the novelizations of movies, and sometimes I am very frustrated by those different ways of telling that same Mm -hmm. story. When it's a novel first, and then it's translated into a movie, I'm frequently happy with both sure but sometimes when it's a movie first and then they write it down second uh, sometimes it loses something in translation my
1: my gut tells me that this was released when it is because there were so many rewrites of the original movie i'm not sure that's the case but anyway it's it's here and for those who want to see it steve it's time to make our announcement yep we, we talked about it with Pamela and Here we are again. It's
0: spring break coming up. Maybe some of you are already on spring break. There's, That's there's right. People are on spring break.
1: The, you never know where you are in the world. From, from college spring break to high school spring break. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are on spring break now. So some... Here is your
0: assignment for spring break. Whenever it comes up, you are going to find a copy of M.T. Anderson's feed. We talked about it with Pam Bador in our Book It segment. You have an assignment to read
1: this book by April 3rd. Third, and we'd love to hear from you about what you think about this book. Now, we had such good luck doing this with during Mary Shelley's Frankenstein mm-hmm. for last Halloween. We had really good luck reading uh, Truman Capote's The Thanksgiving Guest uh, during Thanksgiving. So now we've got a spring break. We're not going to discuss this until our April 3rd show. So whenever your spring break is, make sure you have your copy yeah. of M.T. Anderson's feed. And start reading it. So let's give us a little bit of a, a preview because I've read the first chapter, Steve. Oh, I read the first chapter. And so I, I'm going to go ahead and make a couple things. For sensitive readers, <laughs> there is some cursing in, in, in the first chapter. Okay. And, so be uh, aware of that. And there was a reference to drinking in the first chapter. So, so
0: it's a little bit of adult situations because these are
1: older. These th- this are- is a young adult Book right. My my gut tells me in high school it's perfectly fine. Probably middle school it's going to be a parent's discretion. Okay, doesn't really matter. Um, if if this is your cup of tea, I, I we pick this book for a reason. Mm-hmm. And the the, um, the other thing I will tell you is there's a lot of slang going on. You kind of you kind of have to get used to how fast it's. Um, You're kind of reading it. The vernacular of these people is different from our vernacular. Yeah, and Hmm. if you find yourself tripping up a little bit, try reading it out loud because it definitely sounds like you could read it as your child, like... Yeah, it was a super yeah. duper time. It was so boring, man. We went to the moon. That's that's the premise here. Is is this is
0: a group of kids who have all the information that they need in their head through this
1: feed, and everything's boring as a result. They're bonds, uh, They're constantly bombarded by ads. Yeah. Everything is. I mean, I've got a thirteen-year-old. I got a sixteen-year-old. Yeah, you know, things certainly aren't. You know, when you're a kid, dad comes home and everyone's like, "Yes, dad's home." Now it's like, "Hey, dad, are oh, you here again?" That's right. Why well, didn't you bring? chicken so anyway they they head off to the moon in this first chapter and uh they're like yeah we're out to the moon thank goodness we have everybody all my buddies with me because it'd be so boring if i didn't have them all here and uh, they could go anywhere they wanted to eat for dinner of course they go to the local like you know whatever the the chain restaurant is because (laughs) they're on the moon yeah and uh, you know it's so quiet up there if they don't have their friends anyway this is the beginning of of the story. Mm -hmm. Like I said, we got from uh, I got this from Pamela Bador's The Great Courses course that we spoke about earlier. And I think we're going to all enjoy it. That's
0: awesome. So get get a copy of this MT Anderson's feed, send us an email, send us a voicemail, and we will discuss this on April third. And we'd love to have your input into what you thought about this book and the idea that of the dystopia utopia that Pam Bador shared with us. Oh, how exciting. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think, Chip? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. Yes, I think we can. I want to thank again our guest Pam Bedore and all of the great information that she gave us. And thank you for joining us. if you have more input about MT Anderson's feed, give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805 4104 TMS. Send us an email. Our email is too much scrolling at gmail.com. Our website is too much We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and every day of the week. You can find all the news that you need on our feed. Ah, news. Too much scrolling.com. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much
1: Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Game Master Chip Hassanflow. And Steve, if you roll over a seven, we can exit this, uh, this recording. Three. Oh, do it again. And we'll have to start over again. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want to thank you
0: again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. We'll see you in the future.